Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for joining me for another edition of the Bob Sullivan Show. Today I have on with me sports journalist, Mikel Ramos. How are you doing today, Mikel? How you doing? How are you doing, sir? Thank you for letting me on. I'm doing no problem. I'm doing very well. Um, now, uh, you know, NBA is getting heated up here. Uh, we're into a new year. Uh, looking at, you know, the trades that have just been made by Cleveland, uh, to pick up Timothy Mozgov, uh, you look at J.R. Smith, Iman Shumpert. Uh, do you think all three of those moves greatly improved this team depth-wise and, you know, dropping a guy like Deion Waiters, uh, you drop a guy that might be a chemistry issue, do you, do you see these moves helping out Cleveland a lot during this uh, during their run to the playoffs? I think with what's going on with Cleveland right now, as far as the big three, Cleveland is an experiment that you're just waiting to try to find out. You know what I'm saying? They get they got a little bit on a, they got a little bit on a run, and then they they were eight and eight, and they were eight and eight at the time where LeBron James has said that everybody should just relax because he knows how it's been to have that type of pressure and be eight and eight. Coincidentally, the same time that they were eight and eight, Miami was at that point in eight and eight, and everybody was running amok and trying to figure out what was going on. I think the Knicks will – I mean, I think the trade will help the Knicks with J.R. Smith. I think it was time for J.R. Smith to go. Now, J.R. Smith went from being sixth man of the year to almost obsolete. And it's a kind of guy that doesn't really play very well when he has a little bit of a spotlight on him. When he can play in the background, he's better. But he doesn't do good with a lot of pressure. And you never know which JR you're going to get from night to night. You may get a JR that tacks up a whole bunch of shots and then bricks. Or you may get a JR and the shots go in. He's kind of like the equivalent to a Nate Robinson, except Nate Robinson at least brings the morale of a team up, you know what I'm saying? Because he comes in there and he's just full throttle with his emotions. So how effective he was going to be will depend on how effective he wants to be and his ability to try to change within that style and actually be consistent. And Shumpert on the other end, I thought he was producing very good in the, as far as the Knicks was concerned. I thought that wasn't a guy that they should have let go. But I see why they did. They had to get rid of some cash space, and they did so with a contract like Shumpert's. Um, I think Shumpert will bring good depth to their team. It's a, He's a guy that just knows how to play his role, and he knows how to play basketball, and they need a guy that's not a name that could just come in there. So it's going to be a little bit of a wait-and-see kind of thing. And interestingly enough, the good thing about it is they're in the Eastern Conference. So that kind of wait-and-see kind of tandem is something that can be effective in the Eastern Conference. In the Western Conference, it might have been a little bit too late for trades like this. With uh, with J.R. Smith, you know, he there's been a couple of years where, you know, he's had – like when he was a sixth man, Woodson had rules for him. Do you think a guy like David Blatt can set up rules for J.R. Smith, or do you think that the uh, you know the team itself, like with guys like LeBron and Sean Marion, that they'll set up rules for J.R. and and make sure J.R. is on track instead of having the coach do it for him? Uh, well. This season, when it comes to the coaching staff, as far as the Cleveland Cavaliers has come come about, it seems like it's been overshadowed by the fact that LeBron is there. And LeBron has kind of sort of 
the coach has kind of come into the under the shadows of LeBron. We really don't know what kind of relationship they in fact have. I know that he respects him, but at the same time, the Cleveland Cavaliers they have a lot of respect. The owner, the ownership, have a lot of respect for LeBron James, especially due to the fact of what they had to do in the long time they had to endure while he was gone. So. I do see a guy like LeBron bringing in a guy like J.R. Smith and being able to kind of pull him in a little bit. Nothing against Carmelo Anthony, but Carmelo is not the outspoken leader. He, he's not in the trenches, so to speak, when it comes to laying down the law. Um, and Le- with LeBron is pretty much point blank. I want This is what we need you to do on this team, and we want you to do it this way. And I think he'll be able to be more of a mentor and coach him a little bit more than the situation that he has in the Knicks. But it's not really about what LeBron's willing to do or what the coach is willing to do. It's about it's about Jr.'s own ability to want to make that change. He's gone about his career so far a loose cannon, if you can if if you uh-huh. can agree, especially in being with the Knicks. And you kind of like look at it this way. Jerry Jones couldn't change a guy like Pac-Man, but Pac goes to another team and he changes himself. He looks at himself a little bit differently. And JR is kind of the difference of that. JR has a chance to turn his career around. He has a chance to show people that he actually deserved that six-man award because after he won it, he didn't prove that he deserved it. And mm-hmm. it's about what he's going to be able to do. It's funny with JR. He... You know, they had that veteran team when they, you know, got a 50-win season with, you know, they had Rashid there, Kurt Thomas, Camby, uh, Jason Kidd. They had a veteran group of players. And, you know, J.R. Smith has the best year of his career. And since then, you know, he has not been – he's not been a, uh, you know, a big fact. He hasn't been a factor for the Knicks. He's been untying people's shoes, been acting childish. Uh you know, I guess there's a couple guys on Cleveland that can help that out, but I don't feel like there's enough, you know, veterans. But I don't feel like he needs to play that major of a role on Cleveland, for, you know, for them to be successful. I think he could be that guy that if, like, they need a bench guy. It's obvious that they need a second unit. There's But so much they can play the big three and deal with their five. So they need a second unit. And if you want to go deep into the playoffs, I'm not saying as far as the Eastern Conference is concerned. I'm talking about when you're stacking up against the West and guys like guys are coming off the bench that look at how deep the San Antonio Spurs are. So, and it's, and it's, and it's if they make it to that, that, that far. So a guy like Jr. if he's clicking right, can come off the bench and be a huge spark. I think we've all seen J.R. Smith at his best, but J.R. Smith at his best is not consistent enough. And you can't really have that. What kind of longevity I don't know J.R. Smith expects to have if he doesn't really pay attention to what he actually has. I don't know if he thinks somebody owes him something or something. I don't know what it is. But, I mean, he's the one that got that suspension late in the playoffs and came back, and it was kind of sort of like Brick City. Anything can alter his game. It's his ability to want to stay in tune to what he's doing. And this is his first time, besides that one year with the Knicks, where he's on a team with the caliber of players like this. Can J.R. Smith, the question is, can J.R. Smith really hold his own 
or is he just one of the casualties of the NBA? He's just one of those guys that will always get a bad rap, whether he's good or bad. It's up to him. With uh, looking at the Detroit Pistons, uh, I mean, last year was a disaster. This year started off as a disaster. They waived Josh Smith. Josh Smith goes to the Rockets. They're struggling a little bit right now, and the Pistons have uh, gone seven, eighteen winning streak. The Pistons, do you think they are that much better because of getting rid of him uh, due to you know his lack of efficiency on the court or because of his locker room presence just being a negative influence on the locker, which is bigger getting rid of Josh Smith? I think what it's done is let these young players, it's kind of like, I don't know if you, you pay attention to what's going on with the Lakers. Those games that Kobe were out, it's like the rest of this team were playing like the Django Unleashed. It's kind of like they had a mm-hmm. chance to get away from the slave master in a sense. And granted, Kobe Bryant is one of the best players, well, it's one of the best players in the world, but at the same time, it's like his ability to not look around and pay attention to what he has. And Josh Smith didn't do the same. And at one point when you think you're thinking that you have a team that you cannot work with, it becomes very one-sided. You start depending all on yourself. And wait a minute, ding ding, these guys in Detroit can actually play. And I don't think I don't think it's I don't even think it's a surprise. I, I don't think they they were able to play because of them being in John in, in his Smith's shadow. But I think it's still going to take some time for the Pistons to get anywhere near the Rip Hamilton and Rashid Wallace days and the Ben Wallace days, that's a long time coming. But at the same, but at the end of the day, they do have talent, and it's good to see that that precipice. And I really think when you ask the question of his 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 presence, it, it was a it was a morale thing. It was a locker room thing. Those guys didn't feel comfortable playing with him anymore, and now they have a chance to build a kind of sort of a life outside of him. So it'll be interesting to see what type of building they can do from this season to the next in Detroit. Do you think that um, Stan Van Gundy waived Josh Smith as a way to get back at Dwight Howard? Because so he knew, like he would know that Josh Smith would want to go play with Dwight Howard because they're buddies. And just a way of kind of getting back at Dwight Howard to kind of ruin his time in Houston. I mean, let's needless to say, I mean, Dwight Howard has ruined his own time. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, Dwight Howard has ruined his whole existence. He went from being the next big man on campus to do we even talk about Dwight Howard anymore? Like, come on. It, 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 Dwight Howard has done everything he's done to himself. And, I mean, if Sam Van Gundy wanted to send, send the stinker, he sure enough did it. <laughs> But I mean, I think it, I think it had to do with a lot of business too. At the end of the day, you want people in the locker room that's going to win. You don't want your locker room being filled with guys that just can't play and get along. And it's almost as if you're watching the Detroit Pistons and Josh Smith is passing to himself. You know, so it's like, come on. But it's that's very. I never looked at it that way. That's very funny to pay attention to that. Yeah. Something like that. But Dwight Howard has messed up his own existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, why not mess it up more with something like this? Exactly. I, I bet you, you Stan Van has to be, you know, laughing laughing his ass off about this situation, you know. And, and you know, it, it couldn't have worked out better for him. But uh, looking at 
you know, teams that are tanking, the Sixers, the Knicks, the Knicks probably could have made the playoffs this year if they, if, you know, if they had, you know, I, I don't, I think they try to fit, uh, you know, square, square in a round hole, you know, pretty much with how they enforce the triangle. I feel like they haven't, they had enough talent going into this season that they shouldn't have, they should not have, you know, as many losses as they do. Do you think, who do you think's worse out of the Knicks and Sixers? And who do you think is going to get that first overall pick? I think the Sixers are just a plain young team. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this, I mean, it's unfortunate how many years, especially since the Allen Iverson era, and it's crazy how one guy can affect, can be the epicenter of one, not only a culture, but a team and a city. Oh my gosh, they should be worshiping. They should be worshiping the ground Allen Iverson walks on at this point in time. After all these years without him, but at the same time, they're still a young team. They still got to find that right coach. They still got to find that right system. Those guys still got to get together and know each other and grow up together and become veterans. And then they may be another veteran away from being able to put those pieces together. The the Sixers are going to be fine eventually. We don't know when eventually is, but the Sixers are going to be fine. As far as the Knicks, I I, I would think the Knicks is more so of of a tragedy because – of the caliber which they had, like you said, I mean, Shumpert and Jr. It's not like we don't know the guys that they came in with, um, Amari, Carmelo. I think they've tried to make Carmelo Anthony a scapegoat. Granted, 120 something million is a lot of money to play one to, to to pay one guy. But let's be honest, if it wasn't for Carmelo Anthony being in a Knicks uniform, they would be in the archives just as much as. Spike Lee's seat. You know what I'm saying? No one would come to Madison Square mm-hmm. Garden for that matter. And they don't give him as much credit as they do. You know, you, you try to match you try to match him against a LeBron when really they're two different types of superstars. LeBron's the type of superstar where he's the front duck, he's the mother duck, and everybody comes in a row behind him, whereas Carmelo Anthony can be one of the one of the, one of those ducks that just is there and if you have the right pieces around him and you stick the right guys He's glue. He it doesn't start with him. He's just the one that puts it together. And I kind of like what they did. And, and 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 nobody paid attention to the fact that Carmelo could have went somewhere else. Yes, he would have took lots of money. Yes, it would have been another a team that was manageable enough to to chase the ring. But he said to himself that he didn't want to leave with unfinished business. And to be quite honest, I don't see I didn't see Michael Jordan calling Charles Barkley up back in the day and saying, "Hey, come. I know you're doing your thing in Phoenix, but come to Chicago." If you're going to win your championships, you're going to win them on your own. You know what I'm saying? And they don't give right. Carmelo Anthony a lot of credit. And I think he needs to stop. They need to stop trying to blame him because it's, he's been balling. It's hard to get. I think it's hard to get a lot of of guys to really get on board with something. I think he's. I think Carmelo's finally playing into Phil Jackson. I think he's playing into the triangle. J.R. Smith was quoted a couple weeks ago saying that he doesn't really understand the triangle. Now, do you not understand the triangle because you're really not trying or are you trying? You get what I'm saying? I think well, everybody – J.R. Smith – I kind of compare J.R. Smith to, like, when Chad Ochocinco went to uh, the Patriots. And, yeah. you know, it, it took, like, that entire season. It was like, you know, Chad Johnson had well, like maybe one touchdown. I don't even know if he had one touchdown that entire time with the, with the Patriots. And the whole thing was he didn't know the Patriots offense and he couldn't figure it out. And that's kind of the thing with J.R. Smith. You know, you know, 
that's the one thing about the triangle. People don't realize it's like, oh, yeah, you, you need talent, but you also need smart players. All, all over the years, we've had smart players running the triangle. And the Knicks do not have smart players right now. They need to get some smart players. They really don't. And I watched a game that the Knicks were playing, and it was the game after they played. They actually beat Cleveland with the next game. And the interesting thing about it is Shaquille O'Neal broke it down perfectly. It's about getting to your spot. It's as easy as one, two, three, but it's as hard as one, two, three. There were certain plays where guys were being lazy and weren't cutting to the, the spots they were supposed to get. If if Shepard gets to this spot, it's a layup. You know what I'm saying? If Carmelo can get to this spot, it's a layup. And I think everybody thought that – I think the Knicks' inability to be a certain way is how much Dolan is willing to give Phil Jackson more creative power. I think he's afraid to give Phil Jackson creative power because if Phil, everything Phil Jackson does touches turns to gold. And you have to say this. I think everybody keeps saying, you know, well, Phil Jackson had a bunch of he had a, he had a bunch of superstars. But at the time he got the superstars that he got, their careers could have went anywhere. He elevated them. So this is a good situation for Carmelo Anthony. But at the same time, if he's able to turn the Knicks around, and granted, I think he will. I think everybody thought this was going to be a quick fix. And then they saw Daryl Fisher coming in, and the guy that played under him for nine years and knows the triangle to a T. They thought this was going to be a quick thing. No, things like this take time. But if he does what he's going to do, which he will, I think all the pressure, I don't think Dolan wants everybody to see that it was actually him that may have been the problem. But they, the Knicks are one big guy. I think they need to amnesty Amari Sotomayor, do whatever they have to do to get rid of Amar Stoudemire, look at it this way. A guy like Mark Gasol, which that was a rumor at one point, comes into the Knicks, they're one big guy away from the triangle being something that's not looking like a square right now, but actually looking like a triangle. <laughs> so they just need yeah. the right guy. And hopefully – in exchanging a couple players like they did, it was Jr.'s time to go. I think Shepard wasn't. I think Shepard wasn't really going to grow underneath that type of system. Do whatever they have to do to with Amari Stoudemire. They did. They gave Carmelo the money that they needed to give to give him. You get some of that money back, you can get some caliber players. People want to play with Carmelo Anthony. People want to play for the for, for a guy like Phil Jackson. People want to play under the bright lights of New York. New York can make or break your career. I mean, look what it did to Jeremy yeah. Lynn. So <laughs> it's a tragedy, but it's coming. Where where do you stand right now on the Atlanta Hawks? I mean, they're very. It's a very. Uh, they're kind of like the Oakland A's of the NBA, where you know just they just uh, you know just piece everything together. No superstar. Uh, really big on analytics and uh, stat advanced stats. Uh, it, it feels like you know they still need another. They need a, somewhat of a superstar or a star. But where do you stand on them right now? They kind of remind me of the Indiana Pacers last year. To be honest, they almost got away with it against them last year. I mean, you got enjoy watching a guy like Teague. You enjoy watching a guy like Al Horford and the growth that Al Horford has had, especially being a big man in this league where. This league is becoming more and more separate as far when it comes to big men. 
But at the same time, you get frustrated with a team like Atlanta because they're like status quo. You can't say you hate them and you can't say you love them. You can't say you're sick of them, but you can't say you're not sick of them. You never really know what you're going to get out of Atlanta. And it's about time that the Atlanta does what they have to do to make a statement. They're not a statement team. I don't think anybody goes into the playoffs afraid of Atlanta. Like, you may be afraid of them for a couple of games. You know it's going to be a hard series to come by. But are you really afraid of Atlanta? You know? So I think it's time that they gain some type of identity, some type of bravado about themselves and find it quick. It's not hard in the Eastern Conference. That really has nobody to pay attention to but Cleveland and the Wizards. So and the Bulls. So there's room for you to make some sort of an impact. But are they willing enough yeah. to step up and do it? Well, and it's like, you know, last year it was the Raptors where, you know, you looked at, you know, like Brooklyn, they, they basically taped a couple games so they wouldn't have to play Chicago in the first round so that they could play. The, Ra- the Raptors in the first round would end up working out for them. I could see the same thing happening this year with the Hawks. Like, there's some, you know, a team disrespects the Hawks. Like, if, uh, you know, say a team is in the seventh seed and doesn't want to have to play Chicago in the first round, they drop down to the eighth and maybe play the first, the number one seed in Atlanta, or they're trying to. Teams trying to line themselves up with Atlanta in the first round. I could definitely see that happening this year. Yeah, me too. I think with the Eastern Conference is missing. I don't know. I grew up in the – I was born in the 80s. I grew up in the 90s. And that's back when the Eastern Conference was just as bad as the Western Conference. They And they showed that they weren't scared of the Western Conference either. And teams like the Knicks back in the days with Larry Johnson and Mark Jackson and Charles Free Rose, guys like them, Marcus Candy, they had identities. You know what I'm saying? You didn't want you didn't want to play Alonzo Mourning and, and, and PJ Brown. You didn't want to play them in Miami. You know what I'm saying? Because you knew it was going to be a fight. And 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 this was this and this conference has gotten away from that. And it's only gotten away from it because when you really look at it, there's only a handful you can really trust to really be about what they say they're going to be about. And that's consistency. But then again, it's not even a handful because I only named three or four teams that. I really, really look at, like, I could say I look at Toronto, but let's face it, we weren't expecting Toronto to be anywhere near as close as they are, good as they are. You know what I'm saying? And Mm -hmm. I just wish the Eastern Conference, it's it's, it's hard to watch all these players want to go to the West. I don't know what's so alluring about being on the Western Conference, but, I mean, the Eastern Conference is where you have these bigger markets. Who wouldn't want to play in Atlanta? Who wouldn't want to play in New York? You know what I'm saying? So yeah, well, it's like it's a loss in the tide. Looking at the, uh, you know, looking looking at the Eastern Conference. I mean, you have some of the best best crowds. You know, in the 80s and 90s, were in the East with Boston, New York, Philadelphia. You know, what's around. Chicago, but now, you know, those, those teams are all, you know, three of those teams are all down. Miami is not, you know, it's a Fairweather fan sports town now. It used to be just sports town. It's not anymore. And, I mean, you look around, Indiana used to be a great sports town, but they really haven't been um, a good 
home court since uh, the Malice, and, you know, since the runners just went into the stands in uh, Detroit. It really hasn't been, you know, that city really hasn't grasped onto the Pacers the way they used to, like at Market Square Arena. And in the West, you look at, like, Portland, uh, the Clippers, Golden State, Denver. I mean, they just have all these, you know, smaller markets where people love their teams. And when they're good, they're there. It, it's it, and it's a lot more fun to watch Western Conference teams than it is Eastern Conference teams, even in the regular season. They're putting those type of towns on the map. Portland is put on the map. I bet. You, I wonder how much your tourism has gone up since <laughs> their teams has actually been winning. And, and, and it's crazy because everything, like when you look at the Eastern Conference, they're really in a rebuilding stage. Like the teams you named, Boston, and they're really rebuilding. Larry Bird really has to, like, they really have to put it together. Larry Bird in Indiana, like, he really has to put it together over there. And I grew up in the era of Rick Smith and, 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 and you know, Reggie Miller. And Reggie Miller, it wasn't a good enough market then, but people were people wanted to see Reggie Miller play. They wanted to see him just shoot his lights out. And the same morale in that Eastern Conference that's in the Western Conference now is not there anymore. And you t- you're saying a team, a, 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 a environment like Denver is a better environment to be in than New York. Come on, I think I think it's kind of it's, it's starting to run its course a little bit. Are you kidding? Like watching it on TV right now, you wouldn't watch like Water. looking at those the Western Conference games in the regular season. I mean, New York. They're either booing or calling for Fisher to get fired. That's the one that's only excitement going on in the garden. And then, you know, when New York, when the Knicks are good, they got good crowds. But they haven't been, they've been relevant once in the last 12 years. And you look at, like, the teams in the West, those are a lot more fun games to watch right now in the playoffs than in the East. Yeah, most, most doubt. I think the, in the East, I think, in the East is more based on the controversy that surrounds it. But you know what? We've talked a lot about the Knicks and we've talked a lot about Indiana. I'm a, I'm actually originally from the D.C. area, and there's this one little team called the Washington Wizards, and there's this one little guy called John Wall and another little guy called Bradley Bill. The electricity mm-hmm. that's in the nation's capital that no one's paying attention to needs to be paying attention to. Granted, they've gone on this West Coast, Western Conference swing and haven't done the best that they could do. But, I mean, that's a low, I think that's a learning curve. But I think the Washington Wizards are ready to play this shot. They're, they're showing that they deserve the top spot in the Eastern Conference. And they deserve to be that for everybody to look at not just the Bulls, but look at them too. I think, we only look at, I think we're only looking at the Cleveland Cavaliers because of default at this point of the trade that was. But the Washington Wizards, that's the heck, one, it's a heck of a market. And two, it's been a long time coming for basketball in the nation's capital. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun to see, yeah, Washington finally good again. They were fun to watch when Gilbert Arenas was, you know, putting up 50 back-to-back games and jacking up threes from all over the place. But they finally have a real team right now. And, you know, Wall and Beal are fun to watch. Uh, do, you like, do you feel like they have enough depth uh, to make a run at the Eastern Conference Finals. The only thing that bothers me about about the Wizards is their inability to close. 
Granted, I was a little skeptical mm-hmm. when they traded for Trevor Trevor Reza for Paul Pierce because look, you're getting Paul Pierce at the point he's in his career right now, and I'm sick and tired of them. Every time he makes a play, they're saying vintage Paul Pierce. <laughs> like you have to, you're old. It's, this is too vintage. But at the same time, you need a guy that can be a. You need a double team. If John, mm-hmm. like for example. When when Shaquille O'Neal fouled out that game in the in, in, in the NBA Finals against Indiana, Kobe Bryant stepped up and took care of that overtime. Who's that guy in D.C.? If John Wall fouls out in the Eastern Conference Finals, game six, maybe it goes to game seven, who's stepping up? And that's yeah. the question, and that's and that's the thing that we and then and that will make you say, oh, we're they're missing a guy. They're not missing a guy. It's just can Bradley Beal handle that? Because if you look over to the Western Conference, you got a guy like Russell Westbrook is saying, you know what, Kevin Durant, you can do what you want to do. And they try to pin us. They try to say, and it's crazy because they try to pin them two apart, and they and they stay united totally. But at the same time, it, when it's all said and done, Russell Westbrook, and I'm glad he finally got the respect he deserved when he went down. Russell Westbrook can pick up the torch when Kevin Durant is down. That's the only thing you're worried about in, in D.C. And that's the only thing that will be their downfall. You, w- with uh, the Toronto Raptors, do you feel like they're kind of fool's gold right now, or do you think that they're a legit contender in the East? I think it's fool's gold. I don't, I don't, I don't, I haven't, we, I mean, they put together a co- Consist two consistent years, but I think they kind of—I don't know—break kind of sort of <laughs> up their stock a bit. I don't know what it is, but I'm not sold on Toronto yet. They got to beat some more teams for me. They got to get deeper into the season. They got to keep the spot they're in. So we'll see what happens in Toronto, but I'm not sold easier yet with them. Uh, last thing before I let you go. Do you want to tell everybody sure. where we can find you on Twitter, Facebook, the Internet, uh, where we can find your writing, all that good stuff? Well, first I want to thank you. I've had a good time. I appreciate you. Um, yeah, no you problem. Find me. Thank you. You can find me on um, Facebook. That's Mikel Ramos, M-Y-K-E-L-L-R-A-M-O-S. On Facebook, you can also come find me on Instagram at Mikel Shade. That's M-Y-K-E-L-L-S-A-D-E. Um you can go to rmikel, R-M-Y-K-E-L-L dot blogspot dot com and um, check out my blogs. Um, I got a couple for all you basketball fans out there. I got a good one on um, Kobe Bryant, um, a, thin, a Thin Line Between Love and Hate, the true Kobe Bryant story. And it's recently got um, on the Hype Magazine 24-7 blog um, section and Root for Sports, which I'm actually very proud of. Um, and you, if you're tuning in on WEAA 88.9 FM, you can also catch me there at the Sports Update Anchor on the Black Top Exchange Sport, Sports Report, Sundays from 7 p.m. to 8. And um, if you ever pay attention to me on Facebook or Twitter, and I'm actually on Twitter at Mikkel Ramos as well, a group of friends of mine also have a podcast called Flex Zone, and we record every Tuesday, and we post every Wednesday. So you can always find me around. Wherever there's sports, there's always me, <laughs> so you can find me. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'd love to have you have you back again soon, and uh, I'll look forward to uh, you know checking out your uh, your podcast and your writing. 
All right, stay keep in touch with me, man. We family now. <laughs> yep, absolutely. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Bob Sullivan Show. I will see you later tonight, guys.